0: Welcome to Family Financial Feuds from University of Illinois Extension. Hello, everyone. We have another great Family Feud um, episode for you today. Um, We are going to be talking about helping loved ones establish or rebuild their credit. So should you add a loved one to a credit card as an authorized user? Should you co-sign on certain loans? So we're gonna be deep diving a little bit into this topic. Um, I'm I'm Khmaya Walls-Bichard and I'm joined by my wonderful colleague Kathy. Kathy, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself.
1: Hi, this is Kathy Sweedler, and I am really interested in this topic. I have real mixed feelings about this. So I think, you know, having a chance to talk it through with you, Kamaya, that'll be really great.
0: I think so, too. You know, I think this is one of a great one for like our Family Feud um, focus, because when it comes to helping others to establish credit, Um, You know, in a household, not everybody might agree on like the approach, but we just wanted to highlight some of the different ways that um, you can explore to see what you will be comfortable with, um, what would work for you and for your family. So we want to talk a little bit about like, you know, being an authorized user, talk about co-signing on a loan. Um, And we've talked about cosine and in a lot of our credit presentations, um, but we want to just talk a little bit more about it on the podcast today, and also to maybe even touching a little bit on like being a joint um, card um, joint account holder. So just like different things that you can do to help with like um, establishing credit for for a loved one.
1: So where are we going to begin? Should we (laughs) should we back up and talk a little bit about? I I, when I was listening to you, I heard a lot of different words going by. So should we just like define? Authorized user, joint card user, and then co-signing loans, because I feel like there's mm-hmm. three different levels mm-hmm. there.
0: Absolutely. So when we think of like an authorized user, this is someone who gets added to somebody else's credit card. So you have like the primary card holder, and then that this is the person who is responsible for the overall maintenance and of the account, and they might be able to add somebody else to that account so say for example it could be a parent um, ha- add in uh, like a teen to that account and of course we'll talk some more about that but with like your authorized user um, that's somebody who has some of the privileges of what the primary card holder has but have like some different responsibilities there and we'll go into that just a little bit more Now, when it comes to like co-signing, like a co-signer is somebody who um, you are the primary borrower, but a lot of like credit card companies, a lot of um, lenders, creditors um, want you to have kind of like a backup to show that you are going to be able to repay this loan. So a co-signer takes on like the full responsibility as the main borrower, but um, their role is mainly to show like that backup piece with like their credit history along with yours to the lender. So um, they feel more comfortable um, understanding like your overall credit worthiness and just your ability to repay them. When we think of like a joint card older, so this could be um, an account where, you know, a couple people are on who have like full access to the entire account. So you are going joint, So you're co-owners of that account. So when the lender is looking to, um, to lend to you, they're going to pull both of your credit history. So they're going to look at both your credit history, um, all the information you have there, deciding um, whether or not to lend to you. So you both have like the full responsibility of that account. And so if one person uh, maybe defaults on that loan, And the other person, of course, will feel that as well, too, because you're joined on there. And another one that we could also touch on um, has to do with like secured credit cards. And we can talk a little bit about that, too, because that's also another great way to to help build credit. So we'll talk a little bit more about that.
1: I think what I'm hearing is like one of the biggest things when you're looking at all this jargon is who is responsible if the bill doesn't get paid? Yes. So even if you have an agreement with whoever else is on that card, a personal agreement legally, who is responsible? And I think it's really interesting that with the authorized um, user, that's correct me if I'm wrong, Kami, but that's really the only one where only like if you've got like I own a credit card and I put somebody else on as an authorized user, I'm the only person responsible for that bill.
0: That's correct.
1: Legally. Now, yes. I might have worked out an agreement mm-hmm. that somebody else will pay it, but legally, it comes back to me. And with things like when you are a joint or a co signer on a loan, then you're both 100% responsible. responsible. So, which I think is always kind of interesting because like, how could you both be 100% responsible? (laughs) But if that's the way it is legally, is that if one doesn't pay, you're not responsible for 50% of that debt, you're responsible Mm -hmm. for the whole thing, even if you took it out with somebody else. And I think that's the kind of the key legal difference here that we have to maybe pay attention to.
0: Definitely, and we absolutely want to emphasize that. And so you are right. So we can start with like the, the authorized user first. But, you know, part of this like discussion, you know, with like all our family, if you stop it, it comes from somewhere personal or from a story that we've heard from others who might be interested um, in like different um, um, topics, financial topics. But I have been, um, you know, an authorized user on a credit card before I have had joint accounts. Um, I've co-signed on those, had co-signers. So a couple of things that have come up with like the discussions with like my loved ones who I've gone into like these arrangements with is again just figuring out you know how we're going to manage this, how long we're going to be doing this for, and who is going to be paying for this because we have like two people on these accounts whose um you know credit history is going to be affected in some way. So it comes from some place, and we think about like why we cover like some of the topics we do, and I think this is an interesting one. Um, and one that we can of course, you know, follow up on in the future because there's so many different pieces to it and like it's like everything with credit, right? Like so many different components to it.
1: And I think this is also like going back to that family feud piece, you know, Kamaya, you and I have both, you know, helped others build their credit or have taken advantage of somebody, mm-hmm. you know, from our family have helped us build our credit as we were gonna, you know, young adults or whatever. But interesting enough, when I'm out teaching, what I often hear to, about people when I do this one little activity is don't borrow money or loan money to family. Like, yes. this is a very mm-hmm. strong feeling mm-hmm. out there. And I think it comes from getting burnt,
0: mm-hmm. you know, from
1: maybe not, you know, from feeling like those informal agreements are going to be, you know, people are going to stick to them right. and not maybe totally taking the time to think about what's the risk or how am I going to feel if this person flakes out on me? <laughs> and, um, you know, so so I think it's, it you know, it sounds always sounds so wonderful. Let's help out people build their mm-hmm. credit. And I like that concept. Right. But at the same time, I think we, you know, we need to th- be a little bit realistic at times about, What is the capability of somebody to follow through at that point in time in their lives? And how am I going to feel if it doesn't work out and I have to bail them out?
0: Right. And that goes into so many things when it comes to like caution with these types of arrangements. Because again, with like not one party, when you have an authorized user, not having like that legal responsibility to make that repayment. You know, why would you make a decision to go into such an arrangement with someone? And a big part of it has to do with like trust and building up, like having like a relationship of trust and understanding who you're going into business with, because it is business to some degree, even though it's loved ones, it's still business. like, who are you going into an agreement with? And why would I choose to co-sign on a loan with this particular person? Why would I choose to add this person as an authorized user? And Along with like teaching and hearing some of those responses well, too, about, um, like, you know, with family situations, um, I've, we've also heard like different um, perspective from people who may be from immigrant families, um, like folks who have had just like mistrust of financial institution and have had like just different issues in the past that has caused them to really have like a very thin credit file. And so they're at a place right now where they're trying to to reestablish that. And they do have somebody in their life who's willing and able to do that. So for some, they might make that choice because, again, they have built that relationship with this person. So they've had that trust build up and they're looking to to help them. So kind of like paid forward um, to some degree with like helping them um, move on and and reestablish like their credit for for us like when we think about like some of the responsibilities the risks the rewards of adding like an authorized user or co-signing the loan there's just like so many different factors to consider so you know we've we've been on co- um, authorized users for a little bit and i will just continue on for a few more moments cuz there's a, some different like nuances when it comes to to authorized users so again with like that primary card holder being the main responsible person for that loan, but add in somebody else to help them establish their credit. What does that do for, you know, both parties involved? So what are some of the responsibilities? What are some of the risks for both parties involved? And, um, you know, we've covered a lot of different great topics related to credit. And this one is very interesting to me. I really, really like this one because, You know, I I know a lot of us, we have huge hearts and we really want to make sure that, you know, we help our kids, we help other people in our lives, like build credit. But when it comes to um, helping loved one in this way, like adding somebody to your credit card, that can be a big deal, can definitely be a big deal. So what are your thoughts on that, Kathy? Well,
1: I guess one of my first thoughts is like, What's your motivation for adding somebody to be an authorized credit card user? So, you know, again, I think one of the the things that comes up often is um, people who are established in their credit and they've got children who are, you know, becoming teenagers and they think about adding them to as an authorized credit user. And one of my first thoughts was, well, it would be really handy when they're teenagers and they want to go shopping for clothes and you really don't want to go with them. Mm -hmm. That You could just hand them the credit card and say, you're an authorized user on this, so you can go here and go shopping and here's your limit. Now, you know, and you can even set the limit for authorized users on the, in the credit card agreement. So, you know, that to me would be a huge convenience. I remember I didn't like to shop with my sons when they were teenagers. (laughs) So I think that would be great. Um, You know, then there's, I've also heard though, like the argument about how to help them build up their credit and their credit history. And, um, you know, that again, could be a factor that would be useful. Um, And I think, you know, so There's that factor. Now, I I think we just need to be careful that we don't expect it to do miracles in terms of building up your credit history. Mm -hmm. Um, It might it'll help a little bit for the first few years. Eventually, you may want to take them off, though, and then there'll be a little (laughs) backdrop on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, I think from the young adults perspective, you know. They want to make sure that their parents credit history is going to help them by getting off on my credit history, because if as a parent, my credit history isn't that good, or I've added one of my child children to my um, or another relative to my credit history, my credit card as an authorized user. And then for some reason, my credit history crashes. There's a crash, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not always going to be a pull you up. You got to be careful. It could also take down somebody. So I think these are, you know, just so, so many different reasons we might think about putting somebody on as an authorized credit mm-hmm. card user.
0: Yeah. So Kathy just right there covered like some of the risk and um, rewards so and some of the drawbacks of like being an authorized user. And again, while there are great opportunities, so the, the prospect of helping to like improve like one's credit so both the authorized user and the primary card holder, of you know, continue to boost like that credit history. There's also the risk of um, you know, if there's like mispayments or other things related to um, negative actions on that account, um, affecting like that authorized user um, quite highly. So just making sure that when you're going into it, and lots of the articles and research that we found. You know, suggest that, you know, if you're going into this agreement with a primary card holder, make sure it's somebody who has excellent, I saw, I saw the word excellent or great over and over, excellent, like credit history um, with like a lengthy credit file um, that you're going on an account with. Because even though you are the authorized user, you, you still want to make sure that, you know, this choice that you're making, even though somebody's doing this for you, the choice that you're making um, is the one that's going to work out best for you. And you're kind of like vetting each other even if you're a family, just vetting each other just to make sure that um, this is the right decision that you want to make right now.
1: And and I think the communication piece here can be really important too. So, you know, it, it sounds simple, but let's say you put somebody else on as an authorized user, who's, who's going to look at that bill every month? Who's going to be making those payments? Is there an amount that you've sort of you know, you know, maybe you have a credit limit of, let's just say a thousand dollars, because that's an easy number. Is there an amount that you both are comfortable with the balance getting up to? Because as we know, like if you're up to $900 out of a thousand each yeah, month, that's, that's, that's really going to not be that that's going to be high for what would be ideal um, from a building a credit score perspective. And so What? Where are you all comfortable? Like, am I going to be surprised because all of a sudden, you know, I've got somebody else on my card, and then they're like, they're charging it up every month, but they're also paying it. Am I okay with that? Right. You know, and I have found, you know, maybe this sounds so, maybe this sounds like a big, like I'm making it into a bigger deal than it should be. But whenever I've gone into this kind of an arrangement or something else like this with somebody, I write it down as like, this is my expectations. And then I have them read it over and then we add what their expectations are. And then we both sign it and we have a copy. I don't think it's necessarily gonna help me in a legal court. That's not my goal. My goal is
0: to help with that listening and communicating process. I think that really helps. I think that is a very, very smart move. Because a big part of it, again, going back to like what the expectations are, So if the authorized user is coming on because, of course, they want to try to build credit, um, you know, you also have to work with like your cardholder to say, you know, what are the limits that we're going to be doing? And the primary cardholder can set limits. Um, You know, a lot of the articles cover like this fact that, you know, as a primary cardholder, you can for like that card that might be issued to the authorized user, You can work with your credit card company to set a limit on that card. So whether it's, you know, um, your team that you're adding or somebody else that you're adding that you can determine because it might be somebody who is building credit and they just want like, oh, you know what? A thousand dollar limit is fine for me right now um, because they don't want to go over that. And, you know, that's not close to the the overall accounts limit. But you wanna be able to like set a limit um, if that works out better for you so that you have an idea. So it goes back to Kathy's like writing down kind of like that informal agreement piece, like, okay, this is what I would, this is the amount that I will never go over this amount. And another piece with the authorized user to like, you know, as you're going over those expectations, if I'm an authorized user on this account and I have the expectation that, oh, this is gonna help boost my credit just a little, find out. If that primary card's older, find out from them if their credit card company does report to the three main bureaus. So that's TransUnion, Experian, and I'm blanking, Kathy. Um,
1: Equifax. Like,
0: <laughs> Equifax. I was <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> I like, I got it. I got it. Um, so report to like the three main bureaus uh, because you want to make sure like that credit card issuer um, reports to those three main bureaus. Um, with like that authorized user information so that that information is getting reported to like their credit report.
1: Right. And so you need to ask not does that credit card get reported, but will the authorized you will it be yes. reported under the authorized exactly. user's name? Because some credit card companies don't do it that way. And keep in mind when we say you know, that it's going to boost a credit score. Again, if you go to a lender for like a home mortgage loan or something, they may ask that score to be run without authorized users on it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, again, like there's a lot of, you know, there's some real pros to being advantages for having an authorized user ability, but it's not that magic pill that's going to necessarily take your credit score up all that much or make all that much difference over the long term. So one study looked at it and they found that, you know, you could, if somebody already had their credits history going for a year or two and they got added as an authorized user, the average increase was like 22 points. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you you know, if all this communication that we're talking about sounds like a lot of hassle or you're not just so sure it's going to be positive for both parties, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe that's not the way you want to go about building up somebody's credit history, but maybe it would be for people right. who hadn't had any credit history. They did see a bigger increase in the points. So, you know, again, if there's a convenience factor as well as the credit score factor. I think those are both real things.
0: And, you know. One of the articles that Kathy and I read, too, um, came out of the Federal Reserve in 2010. That's a while ago. (laughs) Um, But this, you know, it had like some great information. So it focused on just kind of like the emergence of a lot of company who are offering um, to help folks with like poor credit history piggyback on others. And so like this Federal Reserve report um, wanted to focus a lot more on, you know, authorized users, what are some of the the helpfulness and some of the drawbacks when it comes to that. And they ran like multiple simulations with hundreds of thousands of individuals um, from one of the studies that they do have. And they looked at multiple demographic factors um, in their analysis of like authorized credit users accounts. And some of the results that they found um, kind of goes what we were, we've we been talking about, too, like people with like authorized user accounts on their um, records. So like kind of like those primary card holders, on average, kind of experience like an increase, kind of like a modest increase um, in like their um, on their credit files and so their credit information. Um, but just knowing that you know, it depends on like the length of time that they do have the authorized user on and how that affect like their overall increase in credit. And for people who are the authorized user and the term that they use, of course, is like the piggybacking piece. They found that um, the practice of piggybacking credit offers the potential to increase like the credit scores of the individuals who are added as authorized users. So it has the potential, but like right. Kathy says over and over, it is not a magic pill. It is not, um, it's it's not going to work miracles for you, but just knowing that it it goes when in hand in hand, when you're in that kind of arrangement, that kind of relationship with a trusted person um, and you're working with them um, to get that established, but just keeping that um, in the back of your mind and knowing that with like this potential to increase like your overall and improve your overall credit, What that means for you as an authorized user is as you are going out to seek, you know, other credit opportunities, you might get like lower rates and it might be more beneficial for you. But just knowing that even with those benefits, that there are drawbacks and being very careful about like the choices that you make for that.
1: Yeah. So let me build a little bit off that idea of working with a trusted individual. So there are also the possibility um, to piggyback onto the credit, a credit card of somebody you don't know, mm-hmm. and there are companies that kind of arrange this or sell this option, and that you is something to approach very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of warning signs to watch for. So while it's not, you know, while. There isn't anything illegal about adding somebody that's not related to you if it's allowed by your credit card company. Um, There to do it with a total stranger through a a company to me rings lots of bells of warning. Yes,
0: it does.
1: Yeah, and one of the things is that some of the companies have gotten in trouble for putting out misleading information about how much it would improve somebody's credit score. So just because you hear it doesn't make it so. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they these companies should not be charging you ahead of time for this. So you, know, you have to really watch where are the fees and how much are the fees. So when they talk about repairing your credit report, by adding you piggy banking you onto a stranger and they're charging you upfront fees, that's a problem. So really be careful about that part. Um, And, you know, so I'm just, I'm putting that out because that's really not the focus of what we're talking about today, but I don't want somebody to walk away saying, oh, Kathy and Kamaya, we're talking about piggy banking. And look, this company says they can do it for me, even Mm -hmm. though somebody, I don't have somebody in my family I want to go to. Again, we're going to move into like talking about secured credit cards in here in a moment. And that might just be a much better option in my, you know, given if you don't have, yeah. So just something else to definitely consider. So piggybacking is a strategy. It can be helpful within, um, from people, you know, well, and things, but be very careful if you're going to have, if you're in a situation where you have to sort of buy into it, with strangers.
0: Yes. And that's an excellent point. Um, and relieving it into that idea of there are different ways that you can do that to help build like credit. So even if like this idea of like piggybacking on somebody else's doesn't work very well for you, or you're in a different place where, okay, you know, maybe that would have worked for me a year ago, but like right now I'm at a different place. I'm um, just knowing that there are other options that you can explore. And so we can talk a little bit about co signing, but you know, after we go into co-sign and talk more about like the secure credit card fees. Cause I feel like that's exciting. That's exciting for, so for a lot of people who are trying to build credit and they're trying to kind of, you know, do it on their own, on their own terms in some ways. But what we think of like co-signing on a loan. So again, like your co-signer takes on like that full responsibility of like that repayment of that loan, even though the borrower is the main person responsible for that loan. So when I was in college, um, I had a couple of student loans where I I had a relative who co-signed on that loan. And I remember after I graduated and um, she wanted to buy her house, (laughs) this great example, like she wanted to buy her house, you know, but, you know, with like my student loan, of course, it showed up on her credit history. And so um, her Mortgage company contacted me and I had to send like a list of my payments. So a list of my payments over the last um, couple of years to make sure that I was paying my credit card. Um, paying my sorry, my student loan bills on time. Um, just the history of that for her. And it's different with every company. Not every company would ask like for all that information at once, um, you know, once they pull her credit report, but just knowing that when you co-sign on a loan with someone. Um, how that might affect like your overall like credit information, your credit history.
1: And I know that, you know, I co-signed on a loan too, and it was a definite factor in my credit score as this was a, you know, significant money I owed, Mm -hmm. even though I had an informal agreement with somebody else that they would be making all the payments, which they did. But while we owed that money together, it, it did bring down my, um, credit score. Now that was, I thought it was a reasonable exchange. I was aware of it, but it, you know, the fact that, well, it was her loan, really, mm-hmm. that's just, that's the way I view it. That's yeah, not that's- the way, <laughs> you know, lenders view it. They view it as, exactly. you know, it's both of our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so what well, we might say, well, the main person was this one and I was the co-signer that really, there's no main, you're both doing it. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, you're both from the lender perspective, you're both equally liable.
0: Right. And so, yeah. So if the borrower defaults or stop making payments on that loan, then you as the co-signer is responsible for like those monthly payments. So exactly. that, that's, that's a big one too. Um, and again, just like Kathy said, like with co-signing on some of these loans, sometimes it can be bigger loans than having like somebody on their credit card. So. Um, Just knowing um, what are some of the benefits and what are some of the drawbacks and who you're entering into like this agreement with. But yeah, I think
1: student loans are such a great example of that, because I think a lot of people have entered into that to try to help people get the student, you know, the private student loan um, Mm -hmm. amounts just down or get the interest rates down. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that that's a bad thing. We're just saying understand what you're walking into. That's all right.
0: Very good. All right, so let's talk a little bit about secured credit cards. I think Kathy liked this one as well, too. Um, You know, when we think about, like, secured credit cards, again, you know, for people with, like, thin credit files, they want to get, like, an unsecured card, of course, with, like, a great limit so they can, you know, use it to, to, to buy things when they need, how they need, repay it back and continue to, like, build their credit history. But sometimes that's not the case because we have different situations, different things that may have happened in our lives. And we're like, OK, it's kind of like starting over, starting at the bottom just a little bit. And maybe a secure credit card might be an option for you, um, you know, over the other two that we've mentioned so far. So the secure credit card, of course, is a credit card that is funded by like a cash deposit. And you may apply for credit and maybe denied credit again because you don't have a lot built up, a lot of information. So maybe this route um, could be one option for you. So how does it work, Kathy? How does a secure credit card work.
1: Well, this is the option. I mean, to be honest, that uh, my husband and I opted for our our sons when they became young adults. So rather than tying our credit history to their t- credit history, which, to be honest, as a financial educator, I just had some concerns with um, <laughs> because I think you learn by mistakes and people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. and We decided to help support them to get a secured credit card. So what that meant is I deposited money into an account or I gave them the money to deposit into an account. So they went to their financial institution, which happens to be an online bank. And they said and they applied for a secured credit card with a limit Of you know, it can be like $500, it can be $1,000, whatever the whatever you're willing to deposit and leave locked into this account as collateral will become the limit on the credit card. Mm -hmm. And so then what typically does happen is Once you get that card, it acts just like a regular credit card. Nobody, it doesn't, it's not stamp secured or anything. It looks just like a regular credit Mm -hmm. card. And as they used it and they paid their bills on time, then the funds that had been deposited are released in a sense. They're not locked in and it converts to a regular credit card. So then you can withdraw that money that you had as collateral. And you can often the credit card company will come back and say, you've done such a good job with this. You had a $500 limit, we'd like to increase it to X number dollars, whatever. So that meant it was all on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't charge more than what was the collateral. If they didn't pay it, the collateral would have been taken, but I knew what my risk was. Uh, my risk yes. was just the amount clear. that been on, on collateral. So I'm always one of those people that's like, what's the worst case scenario here? Mm-hmm. And my risk was that total collateral amount. Mm-hmm. So I found that it, um, You know, I I had the ability to put up money and not have access to it for a couple of years. That wasn't a problem for me financially. So that was an advantage. Um, That's not always possible for people. I get that.
0: And And it
1: meant that I didn't see their credit card bill. Now, that was a huge plus for my sons. They didn't want mom to see their credit card bill. (laughs) And I felt like that was a reasonable thing for them as adults. If they're an authorized user, I would see what they were buying.
0: Right. And the thing is with like the with the secure credit card, you can start low, too. And I know, you know, you may not have a thousand dollars to put down, but even, like you know, three hundred, five hundred dollars, exactly. like the, the credit card companies, they might work with you if you even have like a little balance that you want to put down on there. And it's just you doing like your due diligence in making sure that you um, do not go close, too close to your limit, Paying off the balance on your card. So it's the same way as you would maintain just like any other credit card, just wanted to make sure that um, you keep your credit utilization low and you pay things off and you pay it on time. Um, if you, of course, can't just pay it off all at once. It's and I think could- knowing that.
1: I think this is a great way if you're a young person or any age and you've applied for a credit card and you've been denied, which happens so much Mm -hmm. with our tight credit market and things, um, you know, historically, or if you don't have a job currently, those kinds of things. And then so you put this money up, it's still your money. It's just locked into savings, but it's there if you need it. This is a great way you can can get your own credit card and get started and you're not dependent on somebody else. And, you know, we were talking about this sometimes from like the parent to the child perspective. But just as an adult, you're not then you have your independence. Um, Nobody else is going to see it. You can build your credit yourself. As Kamaya said, using it regularly, like you pay for, you know, a tank of gas and you pay it off or you go to the grocery store and charge your bill once a month and then pay it off, you will build up a good credit history within a couple of years. And, you know, it's in some ways, I feel like really one of the simplest routes to build up your credit history, the less tangled, let's put it that way.
0: And, you know, just to share a personal example, like I have immigrant parents and that's the route they took, <laughs> um, you know, you know, when they first moved to like the U.S. and having like some help from like other family members and helping to establish like the, the secured credit card until they eventually went off on their own and have multiple um, ones that are, you know, unsecured in their name. So it, it depends, again, on like your situation and risk tolerance as well, too, for, Um, The person who is helping you as well as for yourself, because I'm with Kathy on some of that thing, some of those things where I would worry a lot. Um, So just making sure that you are choosing options that work well for you. All right. So I think the last piece that we wanted to touch on, maybe just a little bit, is kind of like the joint account holder. And again, with like, you know, how it differs from like having like an authorized user with like that joint account, um, you know, you have say, for example, two people who have full access to like that money. Um, I've been joined on an account before where we both have access to that money. And it kind of doesn't matter who opens or makes like all the deposit, just knowing that we're both responsible for for all of that. And people might have like these accounts for different reasons. So it could be um, spouses having it, it could be helping a loved one again, um, being joined on an account, or it could be even like for estate planning purposes, just different reasons why people might have like these different accounts. So it depends on what stage you are in your life and what are you trying to establish with like these different accounts. But for credit building purposes, the ones that we mentioned before um, are different ones that you can explore. But with like the joint accounts, um, just knowing that with that responsibility piece, it's it's very different from like your, your um being an authorized user in an account.
1: But this one will show up equally on both yes. people's credit histories. There's no doubt about that. Um and we do know that when they go to figure the credit score sometimes the person who's the authorized user it's you don't get full credit in a sense for it whereas when you're joint good or bad you both get full credit for it Mm -hmm. so and you can't the joint user one person can't set regulations on the other person right it's truly joint you both are so So
0: equal access
1: there equal access there so again i think it's like you know having a credit card or access to a loan huge convenience in our society and really makes life a lot easier. Um, we can do many things when we're traveling that are really hard to do without a credit card if we're traveling. There are a lot of good reasons to have access to credit in my mind. But you got to think through, like, what's your goal with this? it? Mm-hmm. why do you need it? And what format is going to best suit you um, at this point in your life?
0: Yes, very true. Well, I think this has been a good discussion. It's one of our shorter, nice discussions, of course, on my credit. And again, when we cover credit, there's so many different components. So we try to stick to our topic that we're focusing on because there's so many ways that we could go. But just knowing that, you know, if you are someone who is trying to help a loved one to, to rebuild, to establish credit. Knowing that you do have different options, and when you're entering into like these types of, whether it's formal agreement, like with a joint card, joint holder of an account, or uh, more of an informal one, like uh, you know having an authorized user, just making sure that you are entering into this agreement with somebody who um, you can trust, somebody who you have built a rapport with, and have had like a relationship with to understand that. You know, if push comes to shove, even if this person's situation has changed, they're not just going to ditch me and, and, and not say anything and not try to work through this with me. They're going to be there to help me through that piece. Um, you can also think about just like your financial situation, like what effect is it going to have on you long term, short term? And I like that. Kathy said, you know, sometimes I'm like she goes to that place where she's thinking, you know, what's the worst that could happen? So sometimes it's okay to go there and to think to be like, okay, in the long term, I know that, you know, you know, I want to, of course, be saving for my retirement. And I don't want any of the agreements that I have to kind of jeopardize that in any way or affect that in any way or any other big financial or small financial goals that you might have. Just thinking about that piece. Um, And again, you know, when it comes to like family feuds, everybody might not agree. I know that my partner and I do not agree on everything when it comes to joint accounts or having like authorized users, but we try to we try to talk through it and understand from each person's perspective. So just understanding what your responsibilities are and those risks and rewards from those. And I guess the one last piece to, um, you know, with talking about all of these, You know, knowing again, and I'm going to say this because I've said it a couple of times, like knowing that you have different options when you're trying to help a loved one. So consider like the role you will play again, your risk tolerance, your money personality, and of course, like your overall personal goals as things that you want to accomplish and how um, these arrangements, agreements are going to affect that.
1: Well, you know, and just one more thing I got to you as you're talking, I was thinking about, you know, when you're talking about money, personalities and values, you know, I really value independence and I always have, you know, if you ask my dad, he'd say I, I, as a teenager valued independence a little too much, but, (laughs) um, but I, for me as a, you know, as I've became a financial adult, that independence factor is really high for me. And so you know if even when you're in a relationship with somebody you know a partner or a husband or a wife or what however it you may want to really think about do you have your own credit history mm-hmm. and that involves that may involve not being always an authorized user on somebody else's so while the convenience is the same right. to be an authorized user versus joint You're not you're not building the same credit history there. So when you get to that place where you have that freedom financially and you can get, you know, your own credit card and make the other person be joint. Think about that. Think about doing that.
0: Excellent point. And. Kathy did a wonderful job leading one of our um, Family Financial Feuds podcast on financial equity that we did last year. So if you want to explore that one, that's a, a great one that just kind of reinforced the points that she just made as well, too. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you on this um, topic, Kathy. Yeah, we um, this really is this like was credit. I, you know, I love talking about credit and it's um, one that is very complex. But of course, we try to break it down. So we hope that. Um, you know, this has been beneficial for you because we have a lot of fun covering topics.
1: Thank you for bringing up this topic. I think it was a great one.
0: Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Family Financial views. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.